So we're in Philippians, we're going through the book of Philippians, and uh, um, tonight we're at Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 24. This is probably one of the most significant portions in the New Testament for us, and so I'll try to get that spirit into you as we look at it, how important it is. So let me read it. Christ uh, will even now, there we go, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now Paul's in prison and he never knew how long he was going to live. And so he said, whether I die or whether I live, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. That means if I die, that's cool. I get to go to heaven. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Now, we're going to really look at that in detail tonight. This will mean fruitful labor for me. Only reason Paul wanted to live is for the sake of fruitful labor. And I do not know which to choose. Now, I read that and I think, well, I've never been given the choice personally. God's never said, do you want to stick around a while longer or do you want to go to heaven? Uh, and so... But it appears like Paul has evidently had that uh, option given to him. I do not know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Oh, man, what do, I, what do I do? Where do I go? Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, uh, that is very much better. Now, sometimes when they translate the Greek language, the Koine Greek is what the New Testament was written in, into English, you can't get the full emphasis of the word and so that little phrase there, that is very much better. Uh, it would be better to write it like that. It would be uh, ten times, a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times better. I mean, he's just saying it is so, it's un- incredibly, immeasurably better to go than to stay. It is so much better. Yet to remain on is more necessary for your sake. And so evidently Paul's given this choice. Come home anytime you want or to stick around there. And he said to leave would be, oh, wow, that'd be so cool. But I need to stay for your sake, for your sake. Now, Paul had an advantage over us because he actually got to go to heaven and have a tour. And uh, if I got to go to heaven and have a tour, I would say, please don't send me back, I'm sure. But he came back, and so for some reason, God was was willing to give him the option of staying or coming. And so he stayed for length of time after this, and the reason was for the sake of those who would hear him and also the sake of those who would read his word, his letters that were written after he left. So in your notes, number one, we were created by God in his image to live with him for all eternity. And so there was a a specific plan in the very beginning uh, that had to do with us in regards to God. He created us with the same attitude that Uh, parents who don't have children want children. We got married, and the doctor told us we couldn't have kids. It wasn't going to happen biologically. And so we went six years and had already started adoption proceedings when Patty got pregnant. And it was a miracle. Nobody really knows how that happened, but she did, and we had a kid. And two years later, we had another one. And two years later, we had another one, and we ended up with eight And somebody said something to us one time about, did we not believe in birth control? And our response was, we didn't think we needed to. Uh, We weren't supposed to, but evidently we got uh, what God wanted us to. But we really, really wanted to have children. Uh, Most couples that are married do. 
Um, and often there's a lot of agony over if, uh, if there's the situation we were in. Uh, for many, that doesn't happen, what happened to us. There is no miracle, so they have to go the adoption route or whatever, and so they agonize over that because they just want to have children. Well, God wanted us. Uh, we were the center, the very core of everything that he did in creation. Everything revolved around the specific goal of expanding the family of God. Uh, Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. And so he made us just like himself. And so he established a plan whereby we would become part of his family, a process of that happening. When uh, I was in college, I saw Patty and decided I wanted to marry her. And so I, from a friend, found out her class schedule, what class she was in at what day and what room. And so I would just coincidentally be near where she was going when she was going there and would say, oh, ah, good to see you. Let me carry your books for you. Carry on a conversation, just a coincidence. Uh, it was a plan I had. Now, you could call it a feeble plan. Uh, didn't know if it was going to work. My goal was that she would live with me for 50 years or longer. And that's what I wanted by the maneuvering I did. And so that was God's plan. His goal is that we would live with him. John 14, 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples just prior to his crucifixion. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I mean, that's got to be one of the most powerful statements in the Bible for our self-worth, in the sense of who am I, how much am I worth, what's my value to God. I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you, and I will receive you, and where I am, there you may be also. We will be with him. And so that was his plan, his goal from the very beginning. Number two in your notes, any being created in a moment of time would not be considered worthy to be called a member of God's family. So if you think about this for a minute, God's going to add to his family, as it were, what kind of being is worthy to be uh, called the, the wife of Jesus, the companion of the Lord, to rule and reign with him at his right hand for eternity? What kind of being is worthy to be able to do that? Um, it isn't going to be just an ordinary uh, a person being and the fact is that any being created in a moment of time, in that moment of creation, is not worthy. And the reason is because character is not created. Not even God creates character. And so there needed to be a process whereby we would become worthy over time to be in his family, to be his companion for all of eternity. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. He was not found because God took him up. God took him just like Jesus says, I'm going to come and take you. For he obtained the witness that before is being taken up, before is being taken up, uh, that's sort of a requirement. Before he was taken up, he was pleasing to God. He was pleasing to God. 
What was it about Enoch that was pleasing to God? Was it his looks, his size, his intelligence, uh, his ability to paint pictures, the trees that he was growing? What was it about Enoch that was pleasing to God? I don't think we would have to think about it, talk about it very long before we would arrive at the conclusion it was who he was. It's who he was as a person. Uh, it was his character that God looked at and was pleasing and took him to be with him. Matthew chapter, 20, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So what does it take to be worthy of Jesus? We love him. How much? More than anybody. More than anybody. Father or mother, if we talk about those who we would love most in this life, father and mother would probably rank right up there for most. And Jesus said, if you don't love me more than your father and your mother, you're not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Uh, That means that he's first place in your life in regards to what's important. Everything else, uh, take up a cross means you make a sacrifice of everything. Um, Not worthy. Matthew 22, 8, then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready. Jesus speaking about the end time, but those who were invited were not worthy. Not worthy. Ephesians 4.1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk, act, behave in a way that's worthy of the calling which you have, that calling of a child of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, So that you would walk in a manner worthy worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So he's called us to be part of his family, to live with him in heaven forever. We need to walk worthy of that calling. 2 Thessalonians 1.5, this is the plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy. You will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering for which indeed you are suffering. So, uh, at a moment to time in a creative act, there's not uh, any character. Even Jesus the man grew in character. And we ask the question, what is it that grows your character? And a major one in Scripture is suffering, for which you indeed are suffering. That is, that you would be considered worthy to be in his family. Number five, our worthiness, our journey begins with our being born again, becoming a member of the family of God. So the, the goal was that we would be with him, near him, close to him. I'm married to Patty, and she does not live in Europe. She lives in Jefferson. In fact, she lives at the same address I live at. In fact, we live in the same little room. In fact, we sleep in the same bed. Uh, We are near each other. And the goal that God has for me is that I would be near him, close to him, fellowship with him, dine with him for all of eternity. Now, the nearness to God requires I be worthy of that position. It begins with 
taking care of my sin because God cannot exist, cannot tolerate sin in his presence. And so Jesus came, died for my sin. My sin was put on him as he hung on the cross. God looked at Jesus as if he actually committed all the sins I committed, and then he punished his own son in my place to pay the penalty of my sin so I could be cleansed from my sin, washed from my sins, have it all taken away so that I would be considered worthy to be in his presence because of the holiness of my own person because of what Christ did. I could have never accomplished that on my own effort. So, uh, John 1.12, but as many as receive him, to them he gave, gave the right. That word right literally means that it would be considered worthy. You would have the position, the, 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 the right, the title to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So if we receive him as our Savior, we commit our life to him, we believe that he died for us, we believe that Jesus is God, <clears throat> that he emptied himself of all that he was as God became flesh, that he took my sin upon himself, that he died in my place, paid the price of my sin, that he died where was from the dead. If I believe the gospel and accept that personally, he says he gives me the right, that is, I am now worthy to become his child, uh, to be adopted into his family. Number four, then just like with our physical body, we grow over time in character to become like Jesus. So my born-again experience was the beginning of the journey of becoming worthy of him. And now in my life, I am growing in character to become like him. And the more like, I, uh, like him I am in character, the more he will enjoy my company and the more I will enjoy his because we are like each other. And so the goal of life, it's interesting to ask believers that question. What's the purpose of life now as a believer in Jesus? Why are you here? And uh, the purpose is that you would become more like him in character, as much like him as is possible in this life. So the living illustration is my physical body. I was born a little bitty baby, and I grew, and I became a grown-up physical body. That's the same thing that is the purpose of life as that would happen on the inside in my character. Hebrews 6.1, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Let us press on to maturity. That press on means just everything you've got. Everything you've got, you put into this goal. Press on to maturity. I like to ask people the question, Why? Why? Why should I do that? The average believer has really not thought that through. Why should I press on to maturity? Uh, there needs to be a reason. There needs to be a motive uh, for it to be expressed as strongly as it's expressed there. That this is what we ought to do with our life. So the average Christian, you've heard me say this about a million times, but I'll say it again. The average believer, 99% of the Christians in the world believe this thing to be true. That is, when they die and they enter into glory, God is going to zap them and fix them. And all of a sudden, they go from wherever they were when they ended life now to being what they need to be just by God doing it. So if God could do it, he would have done it. Character is not created Character is developed by life. God provides everything in life for character development. 
And we have to cooperate with that process in order for it to happen. But if we do not grow, He is not going to fix us when we get there. Otherwise, that command is press on to maturity. Why? God's just going to fix you when you get there. So what's the motive? What's the reason? Why exert the effort? Why make the sacrifice? If it doesn't make any difference anyway. 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Long for the pure milk of the word. That means like crave it. Why? So that you will grow. So why do I want to do that? What's the motive? What drives me? What's the want to that's involved in growing and reading the Word? The average believer has very little motivation to pursue maturity because they never think about what the why is, what the reason is, what's behind it. Number five, some people grow rapidly in this life and become very much like Jesus in character. Probably a better word than some would be a few. A few grow rapidly and become very much like Jesus in character. So a good question to ask is if you died tonight and you uh, entered into heaven, how far away would you be from Jesus in regards to your character? What's the distance? Now the goal was nearness. That's the goal for us to be near him to enjoy Him. But what dictates that nearness is our character. We enter into heaven and are in the family of God on a born-again experience, but once there, our nearness to Him will be dictated by our character. 1 Corinthians 15, 41 through 42, there is one glory of the sun, Another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. Star differs from star in glory. Star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. That's the way it is when we get there. Uh, The glory that we have is our character that's like that of Christ. And so if you know anything about stars, you know there are some that are huge and are bright and some that are small and that are dull. A star differs from star in glory. So we in the resurrection, will differ in glory and character based on what happens in this life. And so there are those who grow very slowly, if at all, because they don't understand how to grow. And one of the reasons they don't is because they don't pursue it because it doesn't matter. I'm going to heaven, so what else matters? Why are we going to heaven? What's the goal? What's, the, 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 what's desirable there? It's our nearness to God. It's our nearness, our proximity to Him. <clears throat> Number six, other people get stunted in their spiritual growth and enter heaven as a baby forever. <clears throat> so I don't want to do that. I want to be as grown up as much like Jesus Christ as I possibly can. Hebrews 6, 7, ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is tilled, receives a blessing from God. If it yields thistles and thorns, it's worthless. Worthless, good for nothing, close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned, not them, but their works. 
the thistles and thorns. Um, Hebrews, again, chapter 5, for though by this time, by this time, you've been around the block, you've gone to Sunday school in, in Awana, and you've gone through these leadership class. By this time, you ought to be teachers. But you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. That's the Bible. It means he doesn't read it much. He is an infant. He's a baby. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Number seven, a major deterrent to our growth is our lack of understanding about the purpose of life. resulting in our failure to cooperate with God in our growth. So if we don't understand what life is about, and if we don't think that being a baby once we enter into glory is that big a deal, then we're just going to coast. We're going to take the wide gate, the easy gate. We're not going to pick up our cross. We're not going to pay any price. Reading the Bible, I'll do it if it fits into my schedule. Praying, ah, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Attend church, ah, when it's convenient. See, our Christianity is an option almost every day in our life because what's the reason? I've trusted Jesus. I'm going to heaven. So why get in a big sweat about stuff? And so we've dumbed down the gospel to the point that we've made it an escape from hell, period. And we don't understand what God's goal was from the beginning was let's make man in our image and in our likeness just like us so that he can be with us and us with him. And so we get in the door, as it were, but there are some Jesus was having a discussion with his disciples, and one said, we'd like to sit on your right and your left hand. And Jesus didn't say, no one will. He said, that's not mine to decide right now. If you would like to, here's how. Um, He made several references to those who are first in the kingdom and those who are last. Those who are first are first because they're worthy. Those who are last are last because they're not worthy, because of the absence of character in their life. And so my goal, I don't think I'm going to make the right hand. Uh, Paul's probably ahead of me on that one. But I'd really like to be the next one in line. It's not a competition thing. It's a love Jesus thing. If you don't love me more than your mother and father and your children, you're not worthy of me. If you don't have this desire to be close to me for all of eternity, then um, there's something that's missing in our thinking. And because we don't understand what the purpose of life is, we don't cooperate with the process. We don't choose the right things because uh, we're more concerned about this life and the comfort in this life and advancement in this life way beyond anything in the next. And this life is a blink of an eye, and then it's gone. The next life is for eternity. Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways, uh, uh, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than yours. 
Now, this is not a general statement. That's just the way it is. He's saying this as a condemnation to Israel because of their poor choices and because of their lack of worship and their, and their worldliness and their carnality and their falling away. It really ought not to be that way. Uh, we ought to have an understanding of what His ways are and operate our life so that they're in line with His ways. Philippians 3.19, Paul talking says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things, who set their minds on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. So, People set their mind on earthly things. They think about jobs and money and possessions and cars and vacations, and they rarely think about, where am I? Where am I in my walk with Christ? Where am I in my character development? How far away would I be from Him if I entered into heaven this minute on the basis of the character that I presently have? And so then we would have that attitude that the writer of the Hebrews declared, press on to maturity. Press on to maturity. Do whatever it takes to grow. Long for the pure milk of the Word that you may grow in respect to salvation. <clears throat> Number eight, our attitude about our own impending death is a clear indicator of our level of understanding of the purpose of life. So it's been an interesting couple of months with my mom's uh, uh, getting week and then dying here last week, and I blogged about it regularly, and uh, so lots of conversations with people about uh, uh, their family members, their impending death, and the general basic view is it's a, uh, an event to be dreaded, uh, an event that creates great remorse, sadness, uh, and uh, Paul says, in, or the writer of the Hebrews says that Jesus took away the fear of death. And so Paul in this passage, I'll read it to you again, uh, but that with all boldness, our attitude, uh, moving on there in the next verse, coming up any minute now. Philippians 1. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live as Christ, to die as gain... For me to live as Christ, to die as gain, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, that is so much better, a thousand times better than sticking around here. Um, I don't bump into many people who say that. If they get the news that they... Um, are terminal and have two months to live, it's, what did I do to deserve this? Um, so if we're going to heaven, and if we get a glorified body, and if we get escape all that's in this life, 
Why would that be the result of news that we have a date set in the near future to die? Um, well, it's because we seldom think about it, um, and we don't focus our life on that finish line. We don't anticipate it coming, and in the, in the time I have left, whatever time I have, I need to make count because every day that's gone is gone, and the chance to grow is no longer there. And so I need to have a sense of purpose and passion and drivenness about me in pursuing this goal of becoming like Christ in character. And those who have that purpose and that goal every day thinking about how they're doing in their growth, they think about it to the point where their impending death is a positive event that occurs in their life, a graduation into the presence of God. And to everyone else, it's a day to be dreaded. Number nine, a major act of cooperation with God in our growing is to rejoice always because we understand the purpose of life. So, here I am in my present state of character development. And there Jesus is. And there's a distance between he and I in character. And I want to grow. I want to grow in the worst way in the time I have left. And so, if I think about life, what will make me grow faster than anything else in all of life? Trials, tribulation. They are God's tool for character development. And Hebrew says that even Jesus grew in character by the trials that he went through. And so, if Jesus went through trials to develop character, who am I to think that I'm going to get out of it? But the problem is when I go through a trial, when we go through a trial, what we do is say, oh, God must not love me. Why? What's going on? Did I sin? Uh, So in order for trials to work in me to develop character in my life, I have to cooperate with the process. And the major way I cooperate is by saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you for making me worthy to be near Jesus Philippians 3.1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. It's a safeguard for you. Rejoice. Again, in Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. James makes it clear, the purpose. Considered all joy, considered all joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect. What's that mean? It means like Christ in character. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The distance between where Jesus is in character, where you are in character, it's shrunk. How does that happen? You consider it all joy when you encounter various trials because God knows how to build character, but we have to cooperate with the process or it doesn't work. It creates bitterness, rebellion, and self-pity instead of character that's like that of Christ. Okay, I'm going to shift gears a bit. We're still on the same theme, but we're going to change the method, and this is incredibly important. And so I'm hoping that it makes sense to you, and then you get it, and uh, it produces some life change in you. Number 10, Paul understood the principle. The principle, that's a law, that's the way things work, of mutual edification 
He understood this principle of mutual edification. He understood it well. And he was increasingly more motivated to serve as his own death became more eminent. So, you've ever heard people say, I love Jesus, I just can't stand the church. Or, I don't need to go to church. And so, what is that? That is the ultimate in stupidity, being naive. God says, my ways are above your ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth. So God has a way, a system of building character in us in a major, um, and as far as the tool goes, the most important tool is the church. So I am what I am by the grace of God. There's saving grace, and then there's growing grace. And you read the New Testament, you can clearly see the difference. And so Paul said, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me and through me. So the question is, how do you get that grace? God gives grace to the humble, but he withholds it from the proud. Humility in the New Testament is not, ah, shucks, I'm a nothing. Humility in the New Testament is, I need you, I can't grow without you. Pride is saying, I don't need you, I don't need to go to church, I can go and do it all by myself. I have my Bible, I've got, I can pray, I can do it fine without you. That's pride, you will not get any grace and you will not grow a fraction of an inch. All growth according to God's plan is designed to take place in cooperation and codependence with the body of Christ. That's the way he made it. That's the way he designed it. And when God makes rules and designs things, that's the only way they work. He's given us the physical body to be a perfect illustration of that. Cut my hand off, put it over there. It does nothing. It dies. It has to be connected in order to grow, and every part contributes to every other part. And so I get grace from you, you get grace from me. And together as we are interdependent and 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 humble in our recognition of what I need from other people, we grow rapidly as the body of Christ. So Paul is declaring that here. Uh, Ephesians 4, he says, until we all attain to the unity, till we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to a mature man, grown up, that means like Christ, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, We would grow up to be like Jesus Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness, deceitful deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. We are to grow up in all aspects into him. We are to grow up in all aspects in every area to be like Jesus from whom the whole body, the whole body, what's that? Fourteen times in the New Testament, Paul uses the term body for the church. The whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself and love. The proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself and love. It's being fitted and held together by humility, by interdependence, by service. But what we have two problems is one is I don't need you and the other is I'll just come and 
do nothing. And so either positions you're totally uh, not being fed grace or giving grace and there's no growth taking place. And so there has to be in us this sense of I'm 71 years old. I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. And uh, I want to grow to be like Christ as much as possible in the time I have left. So what is it that causes growth? Press on to maturity. Long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Rejoice whenever a trial comes into your life. And then understand that grace comes into my life through you. Um, Philippians 1, again, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, if that's the way it goes, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Fruitful labor, fruitful labor. That's what I would do for you. It means fruitful labor for me. I don't know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart, be with Christ. That's so much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So Paul understood this. I mean, I could leave, but it's so, oh, wow, I need to get some more done. I need to bear some more fruit. I need to preach some more sermons. I, I need to edify and build people up. I need to give grace more and more and more. Number 11, the more I do to help you to grow, the more I will grow. Now, that's this law of mutual edification. So God has built a throttle into me, as it were. That is, I can get a little bit of grace or I can get a lot. And that is his power, his will, his resource in me to grow me uh, in response to life. And so it's all dictated by uh, the throttle, how much comes in. That's what I do for you. If I do a little bit for you, I'll get a little bit. If I do a lot for you, I will receive a lot. That's the basic law of God. Luke 6, 38, given, it'll be given to you. Press down, they will pour into your lap, good measure. Press down, shaken together, running over, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. That's repeated over and over again in the New Testament. Number 12, choosing to invest my life for the sake of other people's growth. Me choosing to invest my life in your growth in the body of Christ will result in God giving me the energy, the time, the resources to do it well. So if I walk up to somebody and say, hey, would you do this for me, for our church? Nine times out of ten, I'll get a response that is, uh, I don't have the time. I don't think I can. Uh, so if you're going to invest your life in the body of Christ so that other people grow to be like him in character, once you take a step of obedience and do something, anything, God will provide you with everything that you need. But there's always the act of obedience that comes first, understanding. See, we don't understand the purpose of life. God's ways are so far above our ways that we live our life looking at life, looking at jobs and money and lawns and cars and 
and, and we seldom think about heaven being our destiny, and we look at the finish line so seldom. We seldom think, how far am I from where I could be? How far from Christ am I in character? And so I don't expect to be at his right hand, but I certainly would like to be within shouting distance of Jesus. And there's going to be some that are far away because their character is unworthy of his presence. A star differs from star in glory, so we will differ in glory in eternity because of the fact that we wasted this life. We wasted this life. We used up all our time and our energy on things that were temporal, had no eternal bearing whatsoever. And so the most significant thing you can do is invest your life to edify other people, to build other people, because the more you do, the more you receive. And when you get involved in serving God, He gives you the resources. He makes it happen in your life. Um, John 15, 1, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. Takes away. That's not nearness. That's distance. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. That word prune means that he farms it, he nurtures it, he does whatever is necessary for it to bear fruit. But it's the first step is ours. Whoever bears fruit just a little bit, then the father, the vine dresser, prunes us, nurtures us, farms us uh, in such a way that we bear more fruit. And goes on and says that we bear much fruit. And uh, Philippians, one more time, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor. This is the one reason that we need to stick around. Fruitful labor for me, I do not know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. That is so much better. Yet to remain on, is more necessary for your sake. So I'm in a hurry, and uh, I'm going to press on to maturity. And I understand what the Bible teaches and how to grow. And so it's a simple matter of having priorities that fit with God's plan. And a high priority in my life is this church. I'm married. I have eight kids. I have 27 grandkids. I hunt. I fish. I build old cars. Uh, I have time for that, but still the highest priority of my life is this church um, because the more I give, the more I get. The more grace I give, the more grace I receive. The more growth I cause, the more growth I receive. The proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of, of itself in love, and we together become like Christ in character. But there's so many people that uh, are so naive and they're thinking, uh, it doesn't matter. I, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. That's all that matters. Uh, that's just the beginning. Now we need to press on and read the Word and spend time in prayer and invest our life in the lives of others. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your Word. I do pray that we would not be those who are naive, that are living life totally outside of where we ought to be in regards to our growth and the growth of other people. But we would understand how, how you work, how the body works, how your grace is given and received.
And Lord, we would be those who press on to maturity every day. That would be our goal to grow as rapidly as we possibly can. You've given us all that we need for that to happen, but we definitely have to do things your way. And I, I pray that you'd help us to do that, to, to live life with understanding and wisdom and right priorities. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.